Good morning and welcome to Element FM and Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And also you could be listening anywhere uh, across the country by downloading the Radio Cape Player Canada app and typing in 95.7 ELMNTFM or 106.5 ELMNTFM. And uh, thanks for listening today. We have a special guest in our studio. We have the Six Nations elected chief, Ava Hill, who is in the studio and has uh, graciously uh, allowed us about half an hour of her time. We appreciate Ava coming in today. Ava is a Mohawk. She's Wolf Clan. She was first elected in uh, 2013 and uh, then again uh, in 2016. So... um, it's her second term, and I believe that, that this year is also an election year coming up. And uh, Ava is, uh, ha- has been around a long time in the political world, so she, she has a great, great deal of knowledge that she carries with her, and uh, we really appreciate her coming in today. And you all for being here, Ava. Thank you. Glad to be here. So uh, I, I think you have uh, mentioned that you had some, some really good news to sort of start this conversation off with uh, about an announcement for the... Uh, for the for the um, um, uh, Six Nations Economic Development Corporation. Yes, I'm in. I am actually in Toronto because uh, our development corporation is uh, getting an award tonight. It's one of forty six uh, best managed companies in the world. Wow! And they're getting an award tonight. There's going to be a big gala at the Metro Convention Center. So uh, they're doing some fine work. Um, they, you know, they're doing a lot, generating a lot of revenue for our community. They give mm-hmm. money back, and that's why we set it up. We set we uh, uh, wanted to separate the business from the politics. Right. So we got their own development corporation. Matt Jameson is the president CEO, and we've got they've got their own boards, yep. board of directors, board of trustees, and an advisory council, and it's all made up of community members. I'm very familiar and, with that process. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. You were you were there at one time. <laughs> so they're doing a good job, and uh, they also got an award for um, two years ago from the Canada Council on Aboriginal Business for the Development Corporation of the Year. Mm. That was only like I think two years in. That's great. That's yeah. really good to hear. Uh, so you know, it's it that that the way that that has been set up is is it has a for profit wing and a, a not for profit side of things. And the way that uh, distributes some of the profits goes back into the community, mm-hmm. and and uh, some for for the community itself in terms of projects, and some for businesses, and some for other projects that can benefit the community. Yeah, they have. Well, even us as council have to apply. Yeah. Uh, for like, say, so we were able to get funding from them for a new aerial fire truck. Uh, we were able to get some funding from them to help with our water main extensions because we still don't have water lines to mm-hmm. all of the houses on the reserve. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and then there's other organizations in the community that can apply. But they also have a, a, um, a division, I guess it's called grassroots, where people like minor hockey can apply or mm-hmm. minor baseball. Not individuals can't apply, but uh, there's what we call the grassroots uh, organizations mm-hmm. that are always trying to raise money. They can make application too. So it's good, you know. And the more money we make, the more that it can be given back to the community. And they're also using, uh, they manage some of our assets like Chiefswood Park and the United mm-hmm. Business Park and the bingo hall. We have our own bingo hall and they're managing that. So they also use some of that money to upgrade those. And so right now we're uh, doing upgrade at Chiefswood so that they'll be uh, glamping. Yeah, there's some big changes going on Which is glamorous there. camping. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're building these cute little uh, 
cute little um, cabins. Yeah, they, they are. even have lofts. They look great. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah. So we're hoping to you know really build up our tourism because mm-hmm. we're right in the, the tourism area between yeah. uh, Niagara Falls and Toronto, close to Hamilton, and so we want to attract more tourism because it is a big industry. So. It sure is, and I'm happy to see that happening. I know that we talked about that when I was uh, sitting on the advisory council and things. We talked about those kind of things uh, coming down the pipe, so it's good to see that happening. Um, now, um, you mentioned uh, something else you wanted to, to sort of talk about, and that was lacrosse. Yes, I, another big announcement. Right. This is a, a couple of good weeks. It seems <laughs> like we're always having good weeks at uh, Six Nations, but last Thursday I was in... Uh, St. Catharines with the Minister of Science and Sport, Kirsty Duncan. We were at the Ontario Lacrosse Hall of Fame. Mm. And uh, she's been making, she made an announcement and something that I've been working on for a number of years, uh, ever since Pan Am Games were here in Toronto. And I was uh, wanting to say, we were advocating that lacrosse should be a sport. Absolutely. Played in the Pan Am Games and the the Commonwealth Games and eventually the Olympics. And um, Kevin Sandy and I were here at uh, Pan Am because we were one of the host First Nations at that mm-hmm. time and we were kind of lobbying with some of the other countries. And, and as a result of that, I became good friends with uh, people from Cayman Islands and mm. uh, St. Vincent and they're still good friends. And so um, uh, and then I realized that um, uh, lacrosse isn't even played in the Canada Games. Mm. And I, so I said, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm lobbying for it for international, and it's not even here. And it's uh, it's also Canada's national summer yeah. sport. Yeah, yeah. So Kirsty Duncan and I met with her over a year ago and started talking to her. Talked to Canada Summer Games. I you know I I ran into um, the CEO at uh, an event that was held uh, for the Sports Hall of Fame when Gaylord, the late Gaylord Paulus was inducted in there. So I was advocating with everybody. Mm. And um, so anyway, um, what has to happen is the feds have to provide money. Mm to make sure that each province can put a team in. Mm. And that's that's what the holdup was. So, But last week uh, we were there and she was happy to announce that uh, lacrosse will be a game played in the Canada Summer Games in 2021. Nice. And it's, it's, so it's paid off. So now we're going to keep going on and try and get it internationally. Yeah. And it just happens as well that the Canada Summer Games will be in Niagara region, which is our traditional territory. And mm. we are a partner. Right. In the organization of those games, really? Doug Hamilton is the CEO, and so uh-huh. we're involved in that. So it's exciting news. It's going to be that's, that's great news. That's great news, Ava. And you know, the, uh, you mentioned Kevin Sandy, and I've been trying to get him down here to talk yeah. about lacrosse and give that history perspective that not a lot of people understand about. You know how that is the creators' game. Yeah, and, it is. You know, the, uh, we we also had uh, a Six Nations night here for the opening game of the Toronto Rock on mm. December twenty eighth. Mm-hmm. I got some sponsors. We had 300 t- tickets and we had people down here. I was asked to do a land acknowledgement at the beginning of the game and to drop the ball. And mm-hmm. we brought in our little uh, tykes from Six Nations Minor <laughs> Lacrosse and nice. they played at the halftime. Uh-huh. It was great because they were playing in the Scotiabank uh, Arena. It was so yeah, exciting yeah. for them. And, and uh, Georgia Swarm was playing uh, the, the rock. And, of course, we've got Randy Stotts and mm-hmm. uh, I think it's uh, Brendan Bomberry who play for the Swarm. They're from Six Nations. and. Mm-hmm. And on our rock star, Johnny Paulus, plays right. for the Toronto Rock. Yeah, so yeah. Six Nations was cheering and all the fans were cheering for yeah. both teams that <laughs> night. And we had some sponsors that helped us get uh, tickets and, and bring a lot of the kids in. So it, it, it is. It's a, a creator's game. It's really, really uh, grown. Yeah, and we really, I really want to, uh, we can share that information about 
it as the creator's game and as it came to Six Nations and uh, and it is from the Six Nations. And so I think people need to know that history. Yeah, Kevin is pretty busy right now. I know he's he is. the CEO of the North American <laughs> exactly. Indigenous Games there, which are taking place next year. Yeah, he's traveling quite a bit. Every time I talk to him, he's between destinations yeah. and things. So, And uh, I, him and I are working on another, another issue internationally with the Commonwealth Games mm. uh, International Federation. Um, I had a... Uh, Skype with a CEO of that last year because we actually we went to the uh, to the games in Australia last year at the Gold Coast at the invitation of uh, of Canada uh, Commonwealth Games mm. and uh, we took part in an Indigenous welcoming ceremony down mm. there. And David Gruvenberg, who is the CEO, is very uh, interested in reconciliation with Indigenous people. And um, when we were in Australia, the Indigenous people were involved and they had a whole reconciliation action plan. Mm. So what, he's, what we're working on now is getting a global declaration um, on truth and reconciliation with Indigenous people through sports. Yeah. And uh, we're hoping to have a meeting at Six Nations and uh, working with Mr. Guvenberg and uh, we're going to get some funding to, to get that in place and he's going to invite people from the different Commonwealth countries to come in. That's, uh, that's a great idea. And just on a, on a sort of a, a, a smaller scale, uh, I, uh, through a story I did, got introduced to an organization in Oakville and I know there's more than one of these now, but there's an organization that uh, does that similarly through hockey. Oh, yeah. Uh, it actually partners with Aquasasne, uh, sorry, um, Attawapiskat and brings students and, and youth from Attawapiskat down to Ontario and Oakville to play uh, on the same team with with. Uh, oh, yeah. With I saw youth. something about yeah. that. Yeah. And, and so I know there's something, there's another organization that does something similar to that. So. And that, you know, I thought, wow, what a great yeah. way to, as you mentioned, you know, truth and reconciliation, to build that relationship up, get kids talking. Sports, hockey, they they know the sport. They, yeah. they know the players. So it's a great way for them to start and giving them a base to talk. Well, I think sports is so important for kids. We've mm-hmm. got to keep them busy. And that's yeah. why, you know, and uh, we're always struggling to get funding for sports, yeah. too, and for recreation because, yeah. uh, you know, the government doesn't really have funding for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we got to keep those kids busy from when they're little and get mm. them on the right track. Mm-hmm. There's so many social issues that are going on, and we're yeah. trying to help them as much yeah. as we can. So, Ava, you mentioned something earlier. Uh, um, I think, well, we talked a little bit about this, and that is that, uh, that you were expanding lines, water lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, water is a big issue on, on many First Nations. And uh, something I always try to point out is that, yes, water is, uh, is a concern in the north, but it's not just limited to the north. Even on Six Nations, that is right here within you know an hour's drive of the of the GTA area, uh, as you mentioned, it doesn't have fresh water going no. to the entire reserve, and and it's only I mean, if I think about getting water to every home, even on Six Nations, that that's a massive job. It is. It is a massive job because we have forty five thousand acres. Yeah, we have over uh, two thousand homes. I think twenty five hundred homes right now, and people are continuing to build, mm. even though our our land is becoming more scarce. Yeah. Um, but uh, we have a small village of Ashwigan, which mm-hmm. is kind of the center of the, or the mm-hmm. hub of the community. There was water there. There was, uh, you know, water lines there, but we had to clean out those water mains. And it's, it's you know, it was only like 9% of the community that was getting yeah. water. And uh, um, just after I became chief in 2014, we had the grand opening. We got, we, it took us many, many years to get funding to get a new water treatment yeah. plant. Mm-hmm. So now we've got a state-of-the-art plant. It cost us $42 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got some from the federal government, you know, because they have that fiduciary responsibility. And uh, But we were 
in order to finish it, we had to, we were forced to go get a loan of twelve million, which we're still paying back. Mm. And when they do that, and I I always say this at a, a chiefs meetings is um, to if you're going to get rid of the you know help improve the water and get rid of these boil water advisories, it's not just putting a water treatment plant right. on the reserve and then leaving, right? Because we're having issues now with the operation and maintenance sure. dollars that has yeah. to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a continuous struggle for us. You know, with the government yeah. to get sure make sure that we right. have those O and M dollars. Right. But you also need the infrastructure, the piping. To go from the plant yeah. to the homes. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and what good is it doing if it's just sitting there and you right. don't have the piping? Yeah. So we were able to hook it up to the to the nine percent, and then it's so we've been struggling trying to get more funding. And um, last year, uh, Jane Philpot, who was then the Minister of Indigenous Services, did come down and uh, announce that they were going to give us ten million mm. to start extending the the water lines, particularly to some of the schools because they're still federal schools. Mm-hmm. So that was happening last year, and so we did expand it. That's phase one. We expanded it to the schools, and um, you know we're getting some money also to expand it down to the uh, business park that we're trying to develop. But there's still a lot of people that are not hooked up. Mm-hmm. So the next phase, we we just now got some money from um, the development corporation mm-hmm. uh, to do a design for the next phase because there's still a, like our our road has lines, as you know, there's yep. a boundary lines, and then there's six lines where people live on. So we still got two or three more lines and a lot of a lot of places to do yet. So it's still a struggle to try and get money. And so those people that are not are either using dug wells or drilled wells, some of which are contaminated. Mm-hmm. And so they're forced to go in, uh, to our public works department in the village and, and they have big tanks where they get to have to basically draw water, mm. fill up the tanks and take it back and put it in holding tanks or cisterns or mm-hmm. something. So... You know, there's still, uh, uh, still, we still have a problem. the The water that's coming through the from the water treatment plant is good. We just had actually had a report on that the other day from someone that because mm. we are doing testing. So, but there's still a lot of people that are not hooked up yet. So that's got to well, keep looking for that money. What would you estimate, uh, roughly or a guesstimate, uh, of what it would take to finish that, to finish getting the water line set up to the entire community? Probably, uh, well, we we did we had ten million to fit, to do part of it. So probably, I think we we got about four phases. So probably another close to a hundred million. Wow. It wow, was a, a, to to do the whole reserve. Mm-hmm. The estimate was a hundred million about ten years ago. So, right. Yeah. You know, it's, of course, it's going up every year. Mm-hmm. The one yeah. one of the good things too that that you know we, our community really appreciated was well the, if you go there now you can see where the line is because there's fire hydrants right yeah, every little right. way and so it's helping with the the uh-huh. fire protection yeah. but um, the company that uh, also put the lines in is our own com- our company we have a partnership with a- Acon yeah it's called A6N mm-hmm. and that comes under the development corporation too and, mm-hmm. and, and they had the contract to put that water line in and um, they were employing our people yeah. About ninety percent of the people that were working there, you know, even including the flagmen. I found out how much they made. I said, I think I'm going to be a flagman. <laughs> <laughs> and so they, you know, it was really good. Like you know, traffic was disrupted, mm. but people appreciated the fact that water lines were going right. in. But also, when they saw our own people working right. there, so it was created a lot of jobs. Oh, you! When you say uh, traffic was interrupted, it makes me think of another issue, and that is. You know, right around the village where it gets very congested at times. Is there any any going to be anything or any thought about putting in lights or some kind of controlling the traffic around there? Well, there are lights in the right in the village. Oh, yeah, right at the corner. Right there, at right. the corner, yeah. but yeah, yeah, it does get congested. It's getting yeah. busy there. It is. It, it is. is. And when we're having trouble with the lines, we get lines painted on, and they seem to disappear quickly. So that's <laughs> a, another thing we're working on. So. 
it was it was chaos in the in the village there a couple of years ago because we were cleaning up the water mains there. Mm. Now, something uh, coming up uh, in the next little while, which is always exciting for the community, is uh, Community Awareness Week, mm-hmm. which is always there's always a parade, there's always a lot of excitement, and specifically on that uh, on that uh, at the end of that that week is is uh, Bread and Cheese Day. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm wondering if you can explain to people who may not know what bread and cheese day is. Yeah, yeah, it's not to be not to be confused with wine and cheese. That's what some people think. (laughs) What it is is because we were allies to the British during Queen Victoria's era. um, She granted us gifts on her birthday every year, which is of course May 24th, Victoria Mm. Day. And so we were getting gifts. I think we were getting blankets. And then um, over the years, actually from as long as I can remember, of course we don't get gifts from her anymore, but. Uh, the elected council started handing out um, bread and cheese. Mm. A big, you know, we, we the council goes there. We buy it. We buy. I don't. You know, people always ask me how much it is, and I never remember. But it's enough to feed a lot of people. Yes, right. <laughs> um, but we buy loaves and loaves of bread and and uh, big bricks of cheese. And mm. the con- elected council and the chief and um, some of the volunteer and the community members go to the arena in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning, and cut it up. Mm. Cut the bread up. We get the loaf. We'll cut about five big slices, mm. and uh, we cut up the cheese. And uh, and uh, we laugh because this year's election year, so everybody can get more than one piece. Mm. But so then we, you know, and as you said, <laughs> that that you know, there's a big event in our community. There's you know games for the kids. There's ball rides. games. There's rides. Yeah. There's vendors, and uh, and then we have a big parade. Yep. And, and then uh, people line up, and uh, a lot of the people that don't live in our community come home yeah. for for bread and cheese mm-hmm. weekend. And, uh, and I know visitors show up as well. And, well, we invite everybody. Yeah. Yeah, everywhere I go, I invite people to come and, and get bread and cheese. And, and so they line up in that, right at noon. Yep. Um, I always have to make it. It's on a, the Monday, yeah? It's on a Monday. Yep. It's always the same day, Victoria Day. And mm-hmm. at, right at noon, uh, people are lined up yep. all the way out to the road. And I have to make a speech. So it's, yeah. it's always the shortest speech I ever make because people <laughs> want to get through and That's get right. their bread. And then they come through, and the elders are sitting at one end, and, and we serve them first. And then uh, once the line comes through, the elders get up and come the opposite way to try and get more pieces. <laughs> but it's a fun, but leading up to that, we do have Community Awareness yes. Week. And that's where all of our departments will, will uh, set up barbecues and, and uh, you know, just make the community more aware of the services that they have to offer. And it's mm-hmm. not just limited to our departments. It's mm-hmm. any businesses in the community and it's the fun. Some of them have games and some of them have tug of wars. And in one year we had bed race and it was, a, you know, um, a hockey team was a, playing the ball team and then the firemen play a baseball against the police. So it's a really good event. It really brings the community together and it's, it's getting bigger and bigger. It's, uh, it, it leads into um, bread and cheese and I think it even kind of carries on a little bit after now because it's getting so huge. Yeah. And um, and it is a when you say a week, it's a week long of of all kinds of things. Oh, that, yeah. that happen, and organizations have lots of things going on. Free barbecues, yeah. <laughs> but but very aware uh, awareness building as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of those kind of things that that are happening in there. Um, you know, I remember actually one year I had to participate in the wagon race. Oh, did you? Yeah, was I was in a tug of war once. Oh really? my god! Yeah, that was scary though. Right, riding those riding was those it? wagons. <laughs> I thought we were going over. You know, uh, but. Um, uh, the other thing that uh, I wanted to mention about that particular week and bread and cheese, oh yes, the number of people that come through for yeah. bread and cheese. Yeah. It's, for people that don't understand, when they when you say it's a big event, was it, did I hear a number like 10,000? Oh, more or? than that, I think, yeah. At least 10,000. Yeah. It's it's a huge event. It's huge, yeah. And we, you know, we, we never run out. 
But we, when we, you know, people, it's, it's, nobody ever just gets one piece. Every, mm. They come with the bags and, mm. and everybody yeah, says, uh, right. the funniest one was when the 80 year old woman said, can I get one for my mother? <laughs> but everybody wants you know, two or three pieces, eh? And then they'll go yeah. through and run out and come in another line. <laughs> so we just say, give them what, I said, just give them whatever they want. And, and, you know. Keep and, the line moving. And they have it down to a real art now. Oh, yeah. Man, they move people through real fast. Yep. Yeah. It's, oh, it's over with by 1230. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, do, they still, do they still have Miss Bread and Cheese? No. No, I Okay. We, we, actually, that was the name we gave to Nina Burnham, yeah, no, our former right. counselor, because yes. she was kind of the organizer. That's, okay. And uh, my daughter started calling her that, actually, okay. Miss Bread and Cheese. So yeah. we had a little coat made yeah, with it and it had her name that. embroidered yeah. on it. But we lost <laughs> Nina a few years ago. Mm-hmm. But Steve Williams, who's a former uh, former chief, mm-hmm. he, he likes to think he's Mr. Bread and Cheese because now <laughs> he kind of takes over trying to organize, <laughs> okay. telling people what to do and right. how to cut the cheese and everything. Yeah, right. So, you know, we go along with him. and Right. It's his day. He feels like he's Mr. Bread and Cheese. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Uh, We have to take a break, Ava. So we'll be right back on Moment of Truth and Element FM with elected chief Ava Hill from Six Nations right after this. Welcome back to Moment of Truth and Element FM. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening in Toronto and Ottawa and also anywhere across the country. If you downloaded the Radio Player Canada app, 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. Our guest today is elected chief for the Six Nations, Ava Hill of the Six Nations of the Grand River Territory. And it's a pleasure to have her here with us. And we've been talking about a number of things that uh, happen on Six Nations. Of course, Six Nations, um, it's it's the largest populated reserve in Canada with with about Mm 25,000 members. 27,000. 27 now. And... Uh, about fifteen on reserve. Yeah, about that. Yeah, fifteen to sixteen thousand living in the community, and of course uh, other members uh, right across the globe in many yep. parts of the world that have uh, um, uh, made their mark in in different parts of the of the country and around the the, the world. And some very influential people uh, have come out of Six Nations as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, some some uh, you know, Robbie Robertson comes to mind. Oh yeah, of course. Robbie. Uh, and Ro- Robbie actually, is, I don't know if you knew that, is getting a lifetime achievement award for the Canadian from the Canadian Music yes, Broadcasting yes, Association next month. Yeah, ne- yeah. Next month yeah. yeah. So we look forward to that as well as uh, Tom Longboat, great Tom long Longboat. distance runner. Yeah, and we have a Tom Longboat run every day, yes. every year, June fourth. Anybody wants to come? Yep. Um, who? Uh, Graham Green. Graham is, Green. Uh, yeah. He was in the, uh, nominated for Best Supporting Actor mm-hmm. in Dances with Wolves. Yep. He lives in Stratford now, I think. Oh, does he? Yeah, he performs up there every oh. now and again. Yeah. Who else can we mention? Stan Jonathan. Oh, yeah. He played for the Boston Bruins. Right. And uh, we now have Brandon uh, Montour, yeah. who plays for Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, yeah. We've got Derek Miller, who is a Juno Award winner. Right. Uh, Murray Porter, who's yeah. a, a Juno Award winner. Murray lives in BC yeah. right now. And, We've uh, had uh, him and, and Annie Lane both yeah. both on the show, as well as Derek uh, recently. Yep, and we have um, Santi Smith. Mm-hmm. She's, she just got made the chancellor at McMaster University. Know, isn't that and great? Yeah. She has her own dance theater, yep. the Kahawi Dance Theater. Yep. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, quite yeah, a few we've people. Got quite a few people. So, Ava, you, you wanted to talk about a couple of other things that were going on. One of them, uh, which, which uh, uh, is save the evidence. Yeah. yeah. What in, in uh, this is part of the residential school uh, campaign. Um, we have, uh, there was a residential school located in the, in the city of Brantford. It's on reserve land, but it's within the confines of the city. It was called the Mohawk Institute. And it was open for over 150 years. Mm. And I remember when I was a young young person that it was kids were still going there because it only closed in the late 70s. 
or mid early seventies, I guess, is when it closed. And um, the Woodland Cultural Center is up there, right beside it. It has a museum, and uh, we were using the uh, facility for office space. We were leasing it out. I think you had an office in there at one time. Didn't oh, you? I did, and and in fact, I can give you a, a piece of uh, of history from my time in there. I was on the second floor, and above me was language. Yeah, and um, they had to eventually move because the flooding yeah. uh, when it rained. Uh, we used to have to always run up and put buckets down. Yeah. And uh, I think that the only uh, uh, saving grace was that it was such an old building and so well built that this, this roof didn't collapse. I know part of it did eventually, yeah. and they had to move out of there. Yep. And eventually the water started coming into my office space on the, on second, the second floor. floor. So it yeah. was coming through the floor, running down the pipes, into the lights. And uh, yeah, so... So it, it, yeah, you're right. It was an old building. So the... Uh, the staff at the cultural center who are looking after it, and it's asset of our community, came to our council and they said, uh, what do you want us to do with it? Mm-hmm. You know, it's falling apart. The roof is leaking, the, the inside. And um, so we, we tasked them to go and ask the community. He said, what do you want to do with it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, in particularly, make sure you speak to those people who are still alive, who were residential school survivors who had attended that school. So they did. And, of course, there were some that wanted it burned to the ground because, you know, the same horrific stories happened there that yeah. happened in all the residential schools. There was sexual abuse, physical abuse. You know, the stories are the same from all over. Mm-hmm. So some of them did, but the overwhelming majority, like 90%, wanted to keep it and wanted to fix it. And they said, we want to save the evidence. Mm. And, uh, and what they meant was save the evidence so that this country, the people will be reminded what this government, the government and the churches of the day did to our kids for over 150 years right. and to make sure it never happens again. Mm-hmm. So that started what we call the Save the Evidence campaign. And this kicked off in January of 2015. And um, council, our council stepped up. And uh, so we said that there would be three phases. The first phase would be to fix the roof. Mm-hmm. And the second phase would be to fix the inside, right. refurbish the inside and make it look like it was when it was operating as a mm-hmm. residential school. And then the third one would be to establish an endowment fund to keep it running and turn it into an interpretation center so mm. that people, because we get a lot of uh, people that want to tour it sure. and find out yep. what it was like. Yep. And so that's what we're going to do, make it like it was when it was a residential school. And so we committed $220,000 to start off and we um, challenged uh, put a challenge out to whoever. And the first ones to accept our challenge was the city of Brantford. Mm. The city council donated the same, $220,000. And there's a church down the road. It's called Her Majesty's Royal Chapel of mm-hmm. the uh, Mohawks. And uh, the kids had to go to school there. And Lieutenant Governor Elizabeth Dowdswell was coming down for the 230th celebration. So I contacted her and asked her if she'd like to take a private tour of the school before she before the uh, church she went to the church, and she said, yes, so we did. We took her on a private tour, and then um, then I ran into former Premier Kathleen Wynne and, mm. and asked her the same. So she said, yes, she came down, and we took a private tour. And then um, in May, I think, of 2016, uh, Premier Wynne stood up in a, the Queen's Park and apologized for Ontario's role in the whole residential school era and committed $10 million to, to wards the Save the Evidence campaign. Mm. And whenever I see her, she asks me how it's going along, mm. and so I've committed to... You know, we we still need more money. Mm. I think we got uh, maybe one million from the feds, and I just had the the new minister of Indigenous Services, Seamus O'Regan. Mm. Mm. We just took him through there last Friday, mm. and he was very emotional at the end. And so we're we're putting a push on to get the rest of the money to to get it completed because we hope hope to get it opened up next year. 
Now, how is that going at the moment? I know they've gutted the building, basically. Yeah, they're they they it, they're fi- they're finished fi- fixing it up inside. Okay. We went through it. We weren't supposed to because it's still under construction. Mm. But the minister wanted to see it, and sure. they are they're trying to keep it as much as uh, original as they can. But yeah. you know, they've had to replace some floors and some right. walls and everything. Yeah. But uh, they're hanging on to everything and they're going to put it back up. So. It's well, getting there slowly. You know, I can tell you that uh, just a little history um, for myself. My 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 dad was taken off Six Nations and mm-hmm. sent to the states, so he would not have to go there. And uh, when I did get there, so I, you know, in some ways, I, you know, I, I I because of my time in there as a as, as someone renting space and and being there, I had several people enter that building over the time and mm-hmm. give me their stories and give me their relationships yeah. and those kind of things. And I can tell you, I heard those burn it down. Yeah. But I also heard, um, you know, uh, people that were there, a, a woman coming in and saying, uh, I remember one day when I was fixing it up and, and a woman, I heard a woman's voice saying, and I, and I slept right over there. And I looked around the corner and it was this woman with her granddaughter. And she said, I can only come in here because I have my granddaughter with me. She's giving me that strength. But you know, uh, there are some very uh, some very disturbing stories. Yes, People had difficulty coming into that yeah. building. And then there's a group of survivors who who were there. They've come together and they're doing their own project mm. on the grounds. Mm. They're you know this, they're they're now working in parallel with the Save the Evidence, but they're raising their own money. Mm. They want to do a Mohawk Memorial Village Park, uh, on just as you drive right. in on the grounds there. They've got a sign. That's what they've got now. But they you know and that's they're raising their own money. So. Anybody wants to help them, guys, you know, it's their project. It's part of their healing. Now they're starting to talk about what happened to them when they were in there. And mm. um, so I try to support them as much as I can. Mm. There's an architect firm here in Toronto. I think it's called Hazel Architects or something. And they were even held a little fundraiser here mm. for them. They met them at a conference. So, mm. you know, they're trying to raise that money. They need a couple hundred thousand dollars, too, to, to finish that. And, right. You know, it's, as I said, it's part of their healing. So right. I'm really trying to help them. Now, of course, you you have uh, you have Six Nation members living in the Toronto area and mm-hmm. then throughout this area and Ottawa area. Um, and you mentioned earlier that you always have monthly updates that people can go to yeah. if they want to check out sixnations.ca. I think it is that they can go. Yeah, and see I, every month I go on our local radio station yeah. CKRZ and give an update. Mm. And then uh, I also do a YouTube taping. Mm. And it's yeah, you're right. You can, they can go on uh, our website www.sixnations.ca. And uh, I was just in actually Vancouver visiting some friends, and we were watching it. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, you can tune in there, and uh, I do that every month. And then we have counselors that or staff that will do a fourth Friday of every month. Mm. So we have a, a few minutes left, Ava. Uh, do you want to talk about Queen's Park? or? What, yeah, just to... one of the things that we do, and I, I, I try to, uh, you know, really in, in, you know, teach our, our younger staff is the importance of networking and est- establishing relationships. And I think it's so important to do that advocacy work and that lobbying work with the politicians. Like uh, in March, a couple of years ago, so shortly after the Liberals got in, we took all of our fire, ch- our, um, our staff, our senior staff, and all of our councillors to Parliament Hill. Mm. And we met with uh, about 30 different MPs and ministers. And just recently, we were at Queen's Park. Mm. Uh, March 5th, we had Six Nations Day at Queen's Park. We had actually a day and a half. And I met with about six or seven of the new cabinet ministers in the Ford government. And uh, we split up into teams. We take our directors and our, our counselors, and we met with them. And we had a meet and greet breakfast. Um, we met with all the leaders. Andrew Horvath was there, and um, the liberal leader John Fraser, and even uh, Mike uh, Schreiner from the Green Party. Mm. He was there, and he said his whole caucus was there, hundred <laughs> percent, because he's only one of them. Eh? 
But it was great, and Minister Greg Rickford was there, who is uh, he's, he's interesting. Miss Minister Rickford's parents are actually buried in our community. Oh, wow. He's they were preachers at one mm. of the churches there, wow. and so he's he you know he's got that mm. connection to Six Nations. So, and I think it's you know it's important to establish those relationships, you know, because we have to work with whichever government is there, and mm. so. And um, that's one of the things, and I like to bring our staff because they're the ones that are going to follow up and take over. They're all younger, and, uh, you know, I teach them the importance of networking. And sure. So that's one of the things we did. And uh, Okay. Yeah, it's, it's good. Uh, any final words just before we go? We've got about, uh, about a minute left. Um, not, not, no, just that, uh, you know, we're having uh, to, to people out, out in, in the community who may be from Six Nations, if you're listening, there's a couple of things going on in our community. We're having an election this year, and mm-hmm. uh, there are people we're looking at revising the election code. So mm-hmm. if you're uh, wanting to vote on the new code, make sure you come home because we're going to vote on it on Bread and Cheese Day. Mm-hmm. And the one other thing that's happening is this whole Bill S3 that the government has established. This is a membership bill that came out of a court case in Quebec called the Dacheneau case where they're going to go back to the 1870s where people can get reinstated to our membership list. Mm-hmm. And if, if, you know, we're our membership directors projecting that if everybody applied that could, could uh, get reinstated, it could add 70,000 more people to our membership list. Wow. And we, of course, don't have the resources, no. nor the space, nor the land. Yeah. So what we're doing is uh, we're saying it should be, and this will be determined by Indigenous services, but we're saying we will decide. Mm. We want to decide who will be on our mm. membership list. Mm. So we're working on developing our own code. The staff are still finalizing it. It'll go out to community members, and uh, we're going to vote on that. It's going to be a couple of votes, and you're, they're working on voting online. Mm. So if you're not living in the community, you can go on our website, you mm. can get a copy of the code, and uh, follow the instructions about how you can vote online on us doing our own code. Okay. Uh, now go for that. Uh, elected Chief Avi Hill from the Six Nations of the Grand River Territory. It's been our pleasure to have you in today. I really hope you can come back again sometime and maybe spend a full hour with us. Yeah, I, I'll try. I'm in, <laughs> I'm in Toronto quite a bit, so I That's can great. fit it in. So we're going to take a break, and uh, we're going to be coming right back after the break with the Honorable Carolyn Bennett, uh, Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations and Northern Affairs. So don't go away. We will be right back on Moment of Truth. Welcome back to Element FM. You're listening in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto and 95.7 in Ottawa. We'd like to very much welcome the Right Honourable Carolyn Bennett, Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations, who is on the phone from the nation's capital. Minister Bennett, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Now, you know, there's a, a number of things that are that are uh, happening um, in and around uh, Capitol Hill, and I know that we want to talk about the the budget, and in particular, Chapter Three of that uh, of the of the of the budget, uh, advancing reconciliation. Some some of the things that are are, are uh, important, and, and that you may want to highlight coming out of that. There's a couple of other questions I would like to ask you before we get there, if you don't mind. Though one of them is that. Could you describe the difference for our listeners between your role as the Crown Indigenous Relations Minister and that of uh, Seamus O'Regan, the Indigenous Services Minister? Well, that's a great question, and I think it's really important that your listeners um, understand that really 22 years ago, the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples uh, recommended that the that department that was Indian and Northern Affairs be um, taken down and two new departments be put in its place. One 
would be the ongoing relationship with First Nations Inuit and Métis. So that's now Crown Indigenous Relations. And the other would be the 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 indigenous services or the 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 you know health education those services to to uh, first nations inuit and metis but under under the understanding that eventually that department would no longer be necessary so at the time that the prime minister made that decision even there on the steps of Rideau Hall, he was saying that eventually the services department uh, would would no longer be necessary as nations and indigenous governments would deliver those services um, themselves. And so that really speaks to my role in the Crown Indigenous file, which means my job is to help us get there faster and mm. accelerate the role to self, you know, the, the, the path to self-determination. Mm. And it means that that money that was in last year's budget around um, reconstituting nations, getting the, whether it's the Mi'kmaq nation or the, or the Anishinaabek nation coming together in a, in a, as a nation and as a government, and then, and then, it, and then supporting their path um, to having their own governance uh, and their own um, uh, ability to pass their laws and deliver the services to their people and manage their land. So um, that is uh, why uh, Minister O'Regan and I work very, very closely together, but uh, it's an exciting um, uh, time where we can see as more and more Indian Act bands are coming together to to really assert their jurisdiction on language, on their fishery, on on child and family services, on on education. Um, that 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 we can really see that um, that there there is huge momentum um, for people to get out from under the Indian Act, which is pretty well what the services department did was just uh, enforce the Indian Act. So then how do you guys work together? You just mentioned that you've worked closely. How, how is it that you do work together? What is it that uh, you, you guys, um, you know, help to facilitate? Well, as as we um, work um in with individual nations, individual First Nations, but on things like the North, things like Métis, we are we are um, in sort of constant contact. Our departments are in constant contact because I think, David, you know that um, um, First Nations, Inuit, Métis, and Canadians don't really care which department it is. They just want us to get it done. And so that becomes really important, um, but also with all other ministers, because as you know, in the in the mandate letter to all ministers, um, it, it we are committed to a new relationship, which is on the recognition of rights, respect, cooperation, and partnership. And it and it means that that Minister O'Regan and I have probably the closest relationship, but the so does the Minister of Fisheries, Minister of Transport, uh, Minister of Natural Resources, all of the Minister of Health that you know, um, Minister Duclos on 
on the on early learning or those post secondary these are things that are uh, um are really um shared and the other really interesting thing that the prime minister put into effect in September was we have a special committee of cabinet called the reconciliation committee of cabinet and there minister O'Regan and I are probably the ministers that bring bring the the policies and the budget asks and the the solutions to that group but it is uh, it is uh, the way um, the Prime Minister envisioned a, a whole-of-government approach, and uh, I think that's why we're making the kind of progress we are. Well, speaking of progress and getting things done, as you mentioned, what are the things that you're, you're getting done with, uh, within the, this, this budget and, and, and some of the highlights that, that are being uh, brought forward through specifically Chapter 3, Advancing Reconciliation? Well, yesterday was an exciting day because we um, were able to uh, be in Vancouver and announce the the uh, the, the forgiveness of loans uh, and the and and be able to hear directly um, from the First Nations leadership about what it's meant. I mean, there are so many communities that have been working for over 20 years um, on their path to self-government, self-determination, and some of that's you know. 20 years, $30 million in debt. Um, but for us to be able to forgive those loans and repay back the ones that had been repaid to us means that that kind of money will go back into their communities to do the kinds of things they need on their governance, infrastructure, and and um, and and uh, quality of life for their people. So I think that um, was... Uh, very exciting, as well as uh, the, the communities that have already achieved self-government, that they were very excited by the the, the announcement in the budget that we now have a, um, been able to approve um, the a, a new fiscal arrangement for those communities, such that they will be dealt with um, nation to nation, government to government, uh, with a, um, a you know to fully fund their governments and be able. For them to write their laws and and move forward in a way um, that they now had spent the last two years negotiating with us, and uh, they are very happy. As you can imagine, David, the, that as we want all all um, Indian Act bans to be able to get out from under the Indian Act, it's very very important that the ones who have already achieved self government, like the Niska or or Gwich and Klicho, uh, that that those those uh, those um, nations that work so hard, we need them to feel that they're being treated fairly and um, both in a fiscal way, but also in a government to government way, and in order to encourage uh, other other First Nations to do the hard work on the path to self-determination, but no, it's really worth it because those nations that are self-governing are are clearly um, achieving better health, education, and economic outcomes. And so it's, you know, it is a matter of rights recognition, but it's also a matter of much better outcomes. Now, some of the things that, that uh, you've addressed there uh, concerning moving these these things forward and, and getting people out from under the Indian Act, um, you know some of the some of the recommendations of the calls to action from the Truth and Reconciliation um, that are addressed in in this budget. 
Um, what can you tell us about those things? Well, obviously, um, the, the, the National Council for Reconciliation was one of the important, uh, or really uh, um, four of the important uh, calls to action, which will, really will be an oversight body to make sure that Canada is, is uh, making progress and to be able to measure that progress as we go forward. Um, one of my, one of, the, one of the calls to action nearest to my heart is uh, Call to Action 66, which was about developing a network for youth um, to be able um, to have their voices heard as we go forward. And so we were we were able um, to achieve that. And I think that it is uh, um, also, um, you know, whether it's the day uh, for truth and reconciliation or being able to find um, the grave sites and the, the people from from uh, the from residential schools that uh, these these all have been um, in, incredibly important as we went forward but obviously that that it is uh, you know today as we are debating the legislation C92 on child and family um, services that that so you know the first five calls to action um, were about children and um, the really importance of 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 taking down the industry that was really about child protection and moving it into what is more um, founded on the rights and well-being of Indigenous children and youth that they should be able to be raised uh, proud of who they are and and. And with that dignity and and uh, um, uh, the secure personal cultural identity that becomes resilience and and uh, self esteem and um, it is uh, I think very exciting to see that piece of legislation going forward um, as uh, as well as the legislation on on protecting and revitalizing indigenous languages that all of these things are are going forward so some you know as we as we look at the progress both on over half of the Indian Act bands now being at tables um, wanting um, to to on the assert their jurisdiction in various areas but also closing the gaps in health and and education and whether it's uh, the TB strategy or a suicide strategy, those things, um, that, that it is uh, also um, the pieces of, of legislation that, that uh, really um, reflect um, the priorities uh, of our partners in First Nations and Inuit Métis. These are the things that we've been hearing, and these are the things that are going forward both in the budget and in legislation. Now, you mentioned uh, children quite a bit in there, and, and I wanted to ask you about uh, one of the things highlighted in here is, is Jordan's principle, and, and, and that, uh, I know, has been... Uh, that was something that, that is, is supposed to, to have and help uh, Indigenous youth and children have access to, to health services. I know that initially when that was brought out, it, it, had a, it was difficult for people to access the, the money for that. How is that being addressed? Well, I think uh, that again that uh, Jordan's principle is a huge success story. I mean, when we t- when we formed government, zero uh, cases had been um, approved in the in the Jordan's principle. Um, now, thousands of of children. It used to be just if there was a um, squabble between 
the province and and the feds and if it was multiple um disabilities if it if for children on reserve now jordan's principle applies to all you know first nations children on and off reserve even with one um disability uh, particularly mental health um and uh, and also there doesn't have to be a squabble we just want the, those children and those families to get the services they need and so i think that this has been an overwhelming success just by changing the mindset and saying that these children need what to be able to to uh, access what they need when they need it and uh, and uh, and that's that's what's now happening uh, with the First Nations Inuit Health Branch. Now one of the other things mentioned in here is uh, is taxation, some kind of uh, implementation of taxation. I, I know taxation is, is a bit of a hot button for for many indigenous people. Um, how and why are and and how are you addressing that? Well, I, I think that um, you know, as as uh, most Canadians don't understand it, if um, when um, when nations are able to get out from under the Indian Act, um, then they can begin the kind of developments that an economic development that that is good for their community. So, if you think of um, of Kelowna and the West Bank First Nation, very, very successful band on the Okanagan, on Lake Okanagan, they, that they have been able to to put in place many subdivisions, many, many, um, you know, uh, communities. And it isn't only for people from their community, non-Indigenous people live there and then pay taxes to the band. And so that's, you know, when people are on the First Nations Land Management Act or the, the way they, they progress to, to be able to have that, that authority um, to be able to levy taxes on their land. And, and people, I think many people, you, you brought up that many Canadians don't understand it, that this, this whole treaty process uh, varies uh, across province and, and from east to west. There's a, a huge difference in in how those treaties were were put together and, and how they're represented and what the obligations are for uh, for government in, in them. Yeah, and I think so that there's modern treaties and uh, and that we are negotiating. And again, those are some of the self governing nations that that mainly in British Columbia and and. Uh, Yukon and Northwest Territories, um, the number treaties, treaties one to eleven, um, you know, from from northwestern Ontario um, uh, to Alberta, those those treaty lands that were based on peace and friendship and and uh, you know uh, to the depth of the plow, those things are 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 now uh, um, you know beginning to think about treaty governance and how, how again, they could um, make sure that their relationship with Canada was based on the original spirit and intent of those treaties, that we would share the land fairly. And David, you know that didn't happen. So again, as we move on things like resource revenue sharing and the kind of um, opportunities for forestry and mines and fish, um, that um, this is going to be Really, I think realizing the spirit and intent of the treaties as to as to what actually was the original deal. Mm. 
Now, you know, with everything that is that is mentioned in the budget about what uh, what you're you're hoping to work on, you know, I mean, from the very start of this this chapter three, I mean, talks about clean, fresh water and and overcrowding, crowded homes and unsafe communities, those kind of things. You know, from there right down to the to the back end where you're talking about helping entrepreneurs and you talk about helping children and 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 improving a lot of things for indigenous. Uh, people and communities, which in many cases, you know, one could say they should have been done some time ago. But but one thing I wouldn't mind asking you about is is when we look at all this, and it's great to see, then it should be happening. But I get the sense that, and I'm wondering what your sense is as a, as a physician on this, is that the, the long, um, pro- prolonged intergenerational trauma that Indigenous people have suffered, um, it, it, it seems to me that 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 is an issue that that needs to be addressed because uh, no absolutely and i think that that you know i think we even use words like intergenerational trauma and we aren't really explicit as, as to what we mean the people who were in residential school were often abused and that when people are abused um there is anger and shame they are often uh, needing to numb their feelings out with drugs and alcohol or 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 horrible outcomes like suicide and violence incarceration and and that 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 really has been the the terrible legacy of residential schools but also the 60s scoop the indian act all of these these really um really failed government policies. So as we go forward and try and close the gaps on water and health and education, we now know we've got to do that in partnership, but we also have to have a trauma-informed approach. And uh, I think that we know of the racism that still exists in Canada in our education, our health, our our policing systems or justice systems, and that we need to to make sure that we are taking a trauma-informed approach that is no longer asking the question, what's the matter with this person? We should be asking what happened to this person. And so that's why, as even with the gatherings on missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, it's the reason why the the, the real reforms and the child and family services are so important um, to make sure that we stop this cycle of trauma um, and uh, and and loss of identity and language and culture, and that we, we move forward in a way in which um, First Nations, Inuit, and Métis are once again in charge of their lives and uh, and that um, and and able to heal. I think in closing, uh, one of the things that you know some an elder said to me last week is that Canada needs to get on with reconciliation we still have to get on with our healing and um and uh, but obviously we can't do reconciliation without listening to our partners but i think that what was exciting about budget 2019 and and the the you know, the budgets that preceded it is that it's clearer that we are listening to our partners and we're putting in place um, the things that, that they have identified as priorities. Mr. Bennett, do you, do you think that people as a physician, again, do you believe that, that even your, your, your own ministers have, a, have an understanding? Because I'm learning about this as well from my own history and, and actually a book that I just recently read called Legacy. And uh, I would recommend it to anyone to read. Uh, that 
intergenerational trauma is passed down. You don't have to have had the physical experience. You don't have to have had even a, uh, a, a an immediate uh, uh, effect from that. It is passed down through the the long term effect that the generations have had, and it passes on to that the next and the next and the next generation. So that even if you are not exposed to that, there is still an effect that you may be feeling from those uh, from those previous generations. Well, I think we're learning a lot about the epigenetics around um, trauma, but also the fact that that uh, that you know people unfortunately somehow had no experience with with parenting with uh, so many um, uh, you know and and still are living the the bad experiences of the generations behind. So it is. Um, it is the nature and nurture, and it is, uh, I think, uh, um, something that we all have to um, really learn more about. And uh, I, you know, I'm grateful that you've raised this. I, I, uh, I can't thank you enough for this conversation. I hope we'll have another one again soon. I, I hope the same thing, and thank you for taking the time to join us today. Thank you so much, David. You're okay. very welcome. That was uh, the Right Honourable Carolyn Bennett, Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations on Element FM.